Absolutely, absolutely. Wherever you're watching us from, whether it's our Prosper campus or Dallas campus or Louisville campus or our global community, uh, we just want to say thanks for joining us. And it's an honor to be here with you. And in a couple weeks, we'll say welcome to our uh, Garland campus. I cannot wait for that. I'm so excited with uh, the Baxters and what God is doing with them there and the impact they are already having for the glory of God. Um, ladies and gentlemen, as, we, as you know, we're in a series where we're really trying to make sure that the church is ready, not just the, this church, but the Big C Church is ready to deal with the culture that will, it's already here, but it will really come on strong as we move towards secularism, as we move toward God not being the center of the culture. He's already not, but as they push him further away and as they start blaming him for everything, we've got to make sure the church of Jesus Christ is ready because, as most of you should know by now, as a church, what we try to do is we try to see where the enemy is winning in our culture and then we shine the truth of the word of God on that so that we can be prepared so that the church can continue to be, Jesus Christ can continue to be, through the church, the light of the world. So that's what we're after. If you don't mind, um, I want to tell you one more story that I think is revolutionary. So, Hope, why don't you come up here, please, and let's talk a little bit about what God has been doing in your life. A number of years ago, I invited this young lady to come and to talk to us a little bit as a church and to help us navigate um, the, the, the treacherous waters of dealing with the culture and people who think radically differently than us. Hope, come on, all the way right here is where I want you to be. And then um, she shared some, some, some thoughts with us, and it profoundly impacted us. And so while we're in this series, where many of you are dealing with some of the difficulties that Hope had to go through. I wanted you to hear her before we jump in the word on today. So Hope, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, um, where you're from. Tell us a little bit about um, the organization you're a part of and what God did to transform you to where you are today. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, family. My name is Hope Harris. And 12 years ago, uh, 13 years ago, I was a gay rights activist in Seattle, Washington. During that year, the 13th year, I kind of came to a place where I came out of an arrested development and I started asking God, who are you, who am I, and why am I here? Huh. And in that year's time, I came to a place, my partner of 15 years was Jewish and we were at the Jewish High Holidays I said, God, if you're real, you got to show yourself because I'm done. I'm out of here. Huh. And he did through the Internet, through Facebook, huh. connected me with old friends that were Christians. And they began to share the gospel with my partner and myself. And on February 14th, 2009, I gave my life to Christ. Come on, somebody. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, but some of your church experiences weren't well. Tell us a little bit about a couple of the churches you went into and how they treated you uh, while you were going through your experience. Tell us a little bit about that because I want our church to realize how we should not behave. Then I want us to move in the direction of what God might be calling us to do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your experiences when you set foot in a body of believers in the church. So, you know, God radically amputated me from Seattle to East Texas. Now, you know, that's like landlocked and all conservative in my mind. And so when I got there, I was living with a friend that led me to Christ. And they just asked me to go to church, which was really hard because I didn't own church clothes. I looked like a man. I had tats and, you know, earrings and all kinds of stuff. And uh, so I decided to go to this church that I saw on the Internet and I walked in, and it was very awkward, very uncomfortable. Nobody sat by me. And uh, when I got there, I sat down, and somebody came up to me within the first three or four minutes and said, you, you don't belong here. And I was like, hmm, I'll show you. I do belong here. And I just went up to the second row, <laughs> kind of crossed my arms through the whole service, <laughs> come to find out that was pastor's wife. And I was like, whew, I did show you. Well, that was pretty negative. Then God, a little later on, brought me to a church where there were really good-hearted people 
but didn't understand the struggle I had because I believed I was born this way. Mm. And so they would say things like, I'm praying for your husband. I'm praying for your children. Now, at the time I was 50, I'm kind of like thinking, yeah. First of all, if you do pray for my husband, you better be prepared to pray for the divorce that's going to follow because just not there. I, I, it's not for me. I'm born this way. God's got nothing wrong with this. And so that was very hurtful and kind of painful and kept me like this, like, oh, all these Christians want is for me to flip and be straight. And then I met some folks that kind of said, no, what you really need is Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. All right. So then there's a young lady that, um, that walked with you and discipled you and got in your well with you to understand who you were, to understand how you're thinking and why you thought that way. And God really used her to radically change some things in your heart and in your mind. Tell us about that. Yeah, so just within that first year of being a believer, um, God graciously connected me to a ministry here in Dallas. And I drove from East Texas to Dallas every week to be a part of that ministry for three years. And... This woman was the women's director, and she said, you know, I, I feel like I'm taking a real risk to even let you be here because you might be here to flip some of these women that are trying to get their lives right with God and resolve their faith and sexuality, but I feel like I need to do this. So she called me up once a week. We had a little Bible study on, on the phone and challenged me to know Jesus. She said, I know you don't want to hear about your faith and sexuality, but you will never change unless you know Jesus. Mm. And man, we talked probably three or four times a week, and that was impactful to me. Mm. And it changed everything. She challenged me. She said, let's, let's just read through the book of John together. Mm. Still my favorite book of the Bible. Mm. And that, that changed everything. She was willing to kind of hear me out. She'd ask me questions. Well, Kind of, how did you arrive at that born this way thing? Hmm. Good. All right. Lastly, <clears throat> uh, my concern for our church and all churches is we're not going to, <clears throat> excuse me, know how to deal with a kid that comes home and says, I'm struggling. And, uh, we're not going to know how to interact with uh, somebody at the job. And so just give us two or three things that you would recommend that we do and walk through when, when somebody in our world decides that this is what they want to do and this is where they want to go. How do we, how do we handle that as believers? How do we show the love of God and, ma and manage the tension of grace and truth? Talk to us. Yeah. Love that tension of grace and truth. That's really important. First of all, you have to willing, uh, I'm going to use 1cc terminology here, get down in the well with them. Mm. Mm. And you have to exercise empathy. And empathy is this. It is seeking to understand the other person's thoughts, feelings, and beliefs without judgment, shame, or blame. Mm, 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 mm. Move out of the way, folks. You're not the Holy Spirit. Mm. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict and convince people of their sin mm. and to lead and guide them into all truth. Your job is to not withhold the truth, but to speak it in love. And I know those sound like real common things, but there is an art to saying, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I got to step out of the way. I got to let God speak through me at this point. I'm That's just good. the conduit. That's good. And then I got to walk with this person. And um, God gave me a passage of scripture. I'm not going to read it because of time this morning. But it is in Mark 10, and it follows what happened after the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus mm. and said, ooh, too much for me. You're asking me to give up what I love most in life, Jesus. Mm. You're asking me to give up my money. I'll follow you to an extent, mm. but I won't give you all of me. Mm. And then Peter came along afterwards kind of asking kind of crazy questions you know, to the Son of God, right? And he says, Lord, we've, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus replied, I tell you this, he who has given up mother, brother, son, houses, will receive them a hundredfold. But this, catch this, folks. 
It is not about prosperity. It is about you well-setters. You become the mother. You become the brother. Mm. You become the sister. Mm. If you need, you open up that home. Mm. There are people like me. When I came to Christ, my partner of 15 years and her children said, deuces, we're out of here. I instantly became homeless. I moved to Texas. I had no idea of where I was going to live, wow. what I was going to do. Wow. And there are people that are not just in the LGBTQ community, but there are people that are coming to the faith that are Muslim, Hindi, and they're being told, we got nothing to do with you. Yeah. Are you willing to open up your door? My God. Are you willing to have people come My and God. sit at the table with you that are different than you and have to kind of walk through and resolve and ask some hard questions and allow God to change and flip them inside out and upside down? That's good. That's what I have to say. That's where I'm committed to being at. Come on, somebody. Will you help me thank Hope, everybody? Great job. Thank you, Hope. Thank you. My, 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 my. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to remind you one more time. The reason we're doing this series is you don't have to believe me, but I'm telling you that your kids, your grandkids, and everybody else that you interact with will have experiences with people who don't think like them, look like them, vote like them, or want to do anything that they're doing. And if we as the church do not know how to interact with them and connect with them in a meaningful way, then what we're saying is we're just Pharisees, and all we want to do is save Jesus for ourselves. And ladies and gentlemen, that is not who God has called us to be. So whether it is a popular series or not does not bother me one bit. What I need, what my responsibility is, and I need you to know this for the rest of your life, my responsibility is, is to make sure that the church is who God's called us to be. Yeah. Is that all right, fam? All right, <clears throat> here we go. Uh, why don't you stand with me? Let's read um, Matthew chapter 11. We're only going to get to six verses in light of our two interviews today. Only six verses is what we can get to. So I need you to read out loud with me so you can see what we're going to address on today. Read with me, please, everybody. When Jesus had finished giving instructions, to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Next verse. Now, when John, stop right there. When John, who was John? John, his name means the loved, the one that's loved, the one that's beloved. John, he is the John the Baptist. That is the one who, the one who literally baptized Jesus. He's the one who literally, the text says, leaped in his mama's womb. He is the one that, that the text says he is the greatest of all men. What? He's the one. Let me show you what, what's up with him. Here's what he says. While in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Stop right there. Next verse. Next verse. Yeah, right here. And said to him... Are you the expected one, or? You're not reading it out loud. Come on, everybody. Let's read the phrase again. Are you the expected one, or? Anybody see the irony there? He's the one that witnessed the Godhead. He's the one, as he's baptizing Jesus, the Father says, yeah, that's my boy right there. The, the, the Spirit of God comes and shows up in the form of a dove to affirm that this is Jesus. And you say, are you the one or is, should we expect somebody else? That, hold on, no, 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 no. Now, if that was Peter, I get it, because he says a lot of foolishness all the time. If that was Thomas, I get it, because Thomas would be like, I am believing nothing until I see it. If I don't see it, I am believing in it. But this is John the Baptist. John, how are you going to say that? How are you going to create and have doubt about Jesus? John, not you. Somebody else, but not John. Maybe Mark. Not John the Baptist. What does John say? One more time. Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Next verse. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. Keep going. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf 
here, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, let me help you all um, who are new to the Bible explain something. Now, in the Old Testament, this didn't happen. That didn't happen because you got to go back to Isaiah chapter 61 where you see what the, when Messiah shows up, here's what's going to happen. When Messiah comes, this is how you're going to know Messiah comes. So if you know the Bible, you're supposed to know that when you see these things happening, it means Messiah is here. But if you don't know the Bible, that's why people can deceive you with a whole lot of things. Because you don't know the word, so they can say anything and you believe it because you don't know the word for yourself. Next verse, verse number six, last one. Watch it now. Read it with me. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. We're going to talk about it in a minute. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. If you don't have your sermon notes, you're going to need them today. So let's see if we can jump through this as quickly as we can. We're in a series, ladies and gentlemen, where we're talking about uh, construction and deconstruction. As we talk through it, what we've said so far is that most people um, get to their faith and they deconstruct it. It starts with construction, you're developing your faith, you're developing a worldview, and then you end up in deconstruction when somebody comes and tries to dismantle what you have been or your parents have been or your loved ones have been developing. On today, what I want to talk to you about is reconstruction. How do you begin the process of reconstructing your faith? That's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about what does it look like when it's been dismantled? What does it look like when you begin the process of constructing and reconstructing it and building it based on the word of God? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What does that look like? But before we get there, I want to show you why it's okay to doubt being a believer. I want to show you why it's okay. If John the Baptist doubted, the greatest of all, then what is wrong with you when you doubt? That's what I want to talk about today because there are too many Christians that when people create and have questions that they can't answer, they begin to worry and throw the baby out with the bathroom, everything out because they, they have doubts. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to free you up today and remind you that it's okay to have doubts. That every single believer, if they tell the truth, they have had a doubt but nothing is wrong with that doubt. Everything is wrong with how you process the doubt. So we're going to talk about it. Where does doubt come from? Why is it that John began the process of doubting whether this was Jesus or was there another that he should expect? There are three reasons why we doubt. Uh, and be behind the curtain, behind the scenes, all three will show up. Number one reason, and they're all in the text. That's what I love about it. Number one reason is difficult situations. Number one, first of all, the reason, the things that influenced doubt, first of all, is difficult situation. Where was John the Baptist, ladies and gentlemen? He was in prison. So he's in prison. When he was close to Jesus, he had no questions and he had no doubts. But when he got detached from Jesus, when he walked away because he was in prison, now he has all these concerns about whether that's Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, the same thing happens to me and you, that whenever there is distance in our relationship with Jesus Christ, whenever something shows up and we're in a situation that we did not like or we did not create, all of a sudden, you want to doubt. You heard in the story earlier today that here's a young lady who, whose grandmother passed. And since her grandmother passed, she was like, God, you can heal her. You better heal her because she has cancer. He did not. He chose not to. And all of a sudden, there are question marks. And now there are doubts. Well, you did it for somebody else. You're a mean God. Why didn't you do it for me? Ladies and gentlemen, that is because, here's the two key words I want you to get today. That is because of the concept of what you believe and truth and how you wrestle with those. Just because you believe it does not mean it's the truth. Just because it's what you grew up thinking does not mean it's the truth. So somebody somewhere believes something like this. Because, because I, um, I eat right, I work out, I should be healthy, and I should live a long life. That is not true. Now, when you have cancer in your body because of that, and you, you're concerned, God, I did everything right. I ate right. I was only plant-based. Then how in the world did I get cancer? All of a sudden now, you want to doubt a good God. 
Doubt shows up because you find yourself in a difficult situation. And the reason you find yourself in a difficult situation is because there is a belief system or your truth that is contrary to God's truth. And it's not until you're in that situation that you realize that God's truth and your belief are not the same. Ladies and gentlemen, when truth contradicts your belief, you fall into doubt. When truth, God's word truth, contradicts your belief, you begin the process of falling into doubt. That is why it is so important that you, you ask God, God, will you reveal to me the stuff I believe that's not true? Because you do not want to hear the truth when you're at the bottom of the well. You want to know it when you're not worried about anything. Let me give you some of them. Number one, um, you deserve to be rich. Just because of who you are, you deserve to be rich. So now, when you don't get the promotion, you better God. God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and you're not giving me what I want. So since you have a belief that's not true, but you believe it, all of a sudden, when God's word hit your belief system and they're not equal, all of a sudden now you want to question the greatness and the goodness and the favor of God. Here's another one. You love, you say, God, I've been tithing, I've been doing my good thing. And really, the real reason you're tithing and the real reason you're doing it is because you know, God, if I do this, then God won't get me. But if I don't, then God might get me. The real reason some of you still have this, when you get a ticket, you're all concerned about, oh, God, okay, God, I'll tithe now, I'll tithe now. And the only reason you want to tithe is because you don't want God to allow you to get in trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, God loves you, period. On your best day and on your worst day, he still loves you. You don't have to earn his favor. He still loves you. The reason you give is because he's been so good, it's the least you could do. It's not because you want to earn his favor. It's because you realize the goodness of God in your life. Here's another one. Let me get a couple more. Here's another one. I should be married. I should be married by now. That's why you get mad. And that's why you get upset when the next person who you know live in wild and raggedy and they get married and some dude or some girl asks them and all of a sudden they get mad and you're not. And you be like, God, I can't take it. It's my turn. I've been faithful to you. What in the world are you doing, Jesus? <laughs> and all of a sudden now you want to be concerned about God and you want to question God. Because you're not married yet. And you'd be like, what kind of God is this? I've been pure. I've been living right. And now this is how you want to tell me thank you. My last, my last girlfriend, she getting mad. I'm the only one that ain't. And now you want to question God and his goodness. And now you want to go to another religion because they got more men over there. And let me see you if I can get some over there. <laughs> oh, you don't want me to tell the truth, do you? I'd call the name of the religion too, but I won't. I'll stay right here and go to the next one. If you're, a good, if you're a good Christian, your life will be easy. And some of you really believe that you shouldn't suffer. Some of you really treat your kids like they, did, like they shouldn't suffer. And you protect them from suffering the best you know how. Anytime something might go wrong, you're there to protect them. And you don't realize, whoa, 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 that's not a truth. Because my Bible says in this world, you will have trouble. You will have it. So therefore, live with an expectation that the bottom will fall out someday. And you got to deal with the reality of the bottom falling out. But if you try to live your life where you shouldn't suffer, then you're going to run smack dab into the truth of the word of God. And it's going to lead you to doubting because all of a sudden you're in a difficult situation, one that you do not like. And now you want to question God every single time somebody walks away from God it's because they had a belief that was incorrect. But they believed it, and then they call it now their truth. It was my truth. And well, your truth is going to run straight up into God's truth. And God's truth is going to win, not yours. And that's when you're going to question God. And if you have the wrong community around you, when you start questioning God, they will lead you away from God too. Because you don't have the right people around you. Number two. Secondly, the first, the thing that drives doubt, influences doubt. The first one is a difficult situation. The second one that influences doubt is unmet expectation. You have expectations of God that you have no business having. And all of a sudden now you're telling God, this better happen, God, or else. When did you, that means you don't need God. You are your own God. That means you don't need God in your life. You're saying to God, God, I am who I am, and you better do what I demand of you. Here's another one. Here's an expectation. The more money I have, the more happier I will be. Y'all, all you got to do is ask some rich people. I promise you, money don't make you happy. 
I promise, so don't believe it. Most of you, so if you're over 40, is that right? Yeah. If you're over 40, this is how you think. Man, I just need to get some bread, and I just need to have enough, and I just need to be able to retire, and I want to be in early retirement. And that's what you're thinking. If you're under 40, this is how you're thinking. Man, I just need to be famous, and I need to get more fame, and I don't care about money. I just want fame, because if I got fame, money won't follow. And that's what you're thinking. Jesus is not at the center. Your desire for money and your desire for fame is. And here's the truth that's going to ha- that you're going to run into. You have an expectation that you should be rich and that you should be famous. And when you get to the point where you're not, you're going to have a midlife crisis. And you're going, you're, going to be so, you're going to be so hurt that you didn't get what you wanted when God didn't ask you to have that expectation in the first place. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you start doubting God. By this time, I should have this, and I don't have this. And so why don't I have this? And God, what do you mean? And I can't live life like this. Well, who said, who said that the expectation that you have, you should have had? Here's all God says. You ought to be grateful for what I have already given to you. You ought to count your blessings just for what I've already given to you. And don't put something on God that he didn't ask you to put on him. Because all that you're doing is you're going to let the enemy use that and your disappointment to then come to the conclusion that maybe God is not who he really said he is. Let me give you a couple more and then let's move on. Um, if you obey, he will give you what you want. If you obey him, anything you want, you'll get. That is not true. If you obey him, here we go, here's the difference. Anything he wants for you, you will get. Let me say that again. If you obey, it's not that if you obey, you get anything you want. No, no. If you obey, anything he wants for you, you will get. Which means the goal then is to determine, God, what do you want for me so that I can then know how to pray the right prayers to get what you already designed in me from heaven for me to have. You cannot start with what the culture has and has has loaded as important and then say, God, that's what I want. You got to go back to God and say, God, what do you want for me? Ladies and gentlemen, this is how we face disappointments, and this is how we start asking God questions. Number three. So, by the way, the expectation of John the Baptist, here's the expectation. John said, God, by this time, you should have now been the Messiah. You should have toppled the governments. You should have, you should have um, raked up the political system. The Pharisees shouldn't be in charge, and I should no longer be in jail. Why am I in jail right now? When you're supposed to be the conquering Messiah that comes and show us the light and let all of us go free. I'm still in jail. Rome's still running the show. And Herod's still acting a fool. And nothing has changed. What kind of Messiah are you? Which is where you're going to get one day. If you're not there, you're going to get there one day. What kind of Messiah are you? When you have to bury your own kids, what kind of Messiah are you? When, 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 when a good friend dies unexpectedly, what kind of Messiah right. are you? And now all of a sudden you start asking questions. Yeah. And if you're around the wrong person or the wrong group, they're going to lead you away from God. Uh-huh. Number three, number one is difficult situation. Number two is unmet expectation. Number three, this is behind the scenes, limited perception. Limited perception. What's he thinking? He's thinking, okay, God, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to come. You're supposed to deliver us. We're supposed to be moving in the right direction, and we're going to take everything over, and we're going to, we're going to, because that's what, that's what um, John the Baptist preached, is the kingdom of God. We're supposed to now utter in the kingdom of God right now. Why is it not happening? Here's what he had no idea. He had no idea that God was now going to not only come to save the Jews, but also the Gentiles. But he had no idea of that because he only had this much insight. We do the same thing. We don't know why God is doing what he's doing, but we think we know more than God. And we don't delay, pause, reflect, and ask God to reveal. We just get mad at God and say, God, you're not doing what I had expected. You're not doing, I can't see your full picture, but what I know should be happening is not happening. Why and why you're doing this, you must not be God. Ladies and gentlemen, anytime you hear somebody walk away from the faith, one or all three of these is what happened. They either were in a bad situation. Number two, they had an unmet expectation. Or number three, their perception was limited. And because they didn't see God's full plan, all of a sudden they get mad at God. Let me remind you of the truth. God's ways 
are not like yours. Which is why your job is to humble yourself and say, God, can you help me out here? How do I see what you see? Give me discernment to see through your eyes and not through my own. How do you solve it then? What's the, what's the text says? Go, to, go down to verse number, verse number six. Um, here's what he says. Verse number six, he says, And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. The word you got to circle there is offense. You got to circle the word. What does it mean? What does it mean? What it means? It means, blessed is he who does not stumble. Blessed is he who does not trip up. Blessed is he who, who doesn't fall away. Blessed is he who, 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 who doesn't stumble over the block. Let me show you what it means. Um, the devil says, I'm going to put up a block. You're walking in and you're living your Christian life, and all of a sudden something shows up, and God says, I want you to know the person who trusts me and does not stumble over whatever the devil shows up in your life is the person that's blessed. The person that's blessed is who sees the hurdle and jumps over it. Pastor Matt, come up here, because I ain't jumping. Pastor Matt, come on over here, Pastor Matt. Um, so blessed is he, blessed is he, who when the difficulties show up, when the unexpected, unmet expectations show up, when the perception is flawed, blessed is he. Where you at, Pastor? You're taking a long time, boy. You're taking a long time. I know you start to use it. Yeah, stretch those, stretch, stretch them out a little, Pastor Matt. Stretch them out. Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he. <laughs> blessed is he who when your belief meets God's truth and now you're disappointed, you don't let that belief cause you to stumble and fall on your face. Instead, what you do is say, God, that's not what I expected. I don't like the situation, but I'm going to trust you and jump over the barrier that the enemy has set up for me. So come on, Pastor Matt, show us what, it, what would happen if on national television, Pastor Matt fall on his face. Y'all better pray for y'all, Pastor. Y'all better pray for him. Y'all better pray for him. And don't talk about white men can't jump. He's going to jump right now. Come on, Pastor Matt. Come on, Pastor. Let's see what you got, Pastor Matt. Let's see. Come on. Lord Jesus, please help him over this hurdle. There it is. There it is. There it is. Medical, 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 please. Medical quickly. Medical quickly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, listen, 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 listen. Blessed is he. Blessed is he. Who when the stuff shows up in your life. You're not going to fall over it, but you will, by the power of Jesus Christ, trust in him and elevate your faith over the situation that you find yourself in. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm just, I'm begging you to get this because it's going to show up in your life. It's going to show up in your friend's life. It's going to show up in your kid's life. And you must remember this verse. The blessed one is not the one who's going to stumble on account of Jesus. It's the one that's going to trust him and leap over the scenario, leap over the doubt, leap over whatever it is that is causing you to question God and say, God, in you I will trust. Ladies and gentlemen, there are so many people now who have walked away from God because when the hurdle showed up, they decided, I don't want to jump. I'm just going to walk away from my faith. And then every now and again, what the enemy does is he brings double. <laughs> Pastor Matt, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. What the enemy does, what the enemy does, he brings them back to back. Because he's trying to get you to question and doubt and walk away from God. So what he does is, he says, he says, okay, you got over the first one, but I got a little something, something for you. And then the second one shows up, and, you, and then this is when you throw your hands up and you say, God, I'm done. I can't do it. It took all my energy to trust you in the first one, but I can't handle the second one. Maybe for you, you lost a job, and you've been doing your good, you've been faithful, and you lost a job, and then you got another one, and before you know it, another, another person says, no, we don't want you anymore. Yeah. And after the first one, you, you, you bailed it, and you say, yes, God, I, got, I know you got me, God. You got the second one, and all of a sudden now you'll be like, there must not be a God. I wonder if it's worth it. 
Maybe you decided, hey, man, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this deal, and I'm going to step out on faith, and I'm going to start a business. And you start the business, and you by faith jump out, and you got some people in your corner pumping you up, and you leaped over the first one. And then the second one comes, where now you don't have any money to pay the bills for the, for the business. And all of a sudden, you're like, God, you told me this was your will. And all of a sudden, here am I. And now you're ready to bail on God because you went into bankruptcy. And now you're saying, there must not be a God because he told me and he did not deliver me out of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what it is. For you, maybe it is. Uh, last one. For you, maybe it was a relationship. And you decided, all right, God, I'm going to try you again, God. I mean, I found him in the church. I found her in the church this time, God. And then they betrayed you. And then you made it through. You said, you know what, God? God will find a way. And you jumped over the first one, and then you met somebody else, and all of a sudden you say, okay, this is it. Ooh, it's never been this good before. And then you get some bad news again, and you'll be like, God, I can do bad all by myself, man. Might as well go to the club and find somebody, because the church ain't working out. And all of a sudden, you want to bail on your faith, because you're not so sure that a good God would allow that to happen to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, talk yeah. to anybody that's walked away, anybody that's joined something else, you're going to hear them say, yeah. I couldn't believe God did that to me. Yeah. So how do we address it? The text tells you two ways. Number one, he says, let's go to both of them. Number one, he says, you have to first know the word of God. You got to first have biblical revelation. That's where you got to go. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch, watch, watch. You, know what, you know what John did? When John was no longer close to Jesus, he had to get word from Jesus, but he got the word secondhand. He didn't get it directly from Jesus, he got it secondhand. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you getting word secondhand. You're getting word from everybody else, but you're not getting word from for yourself directly from God. And when you depend on somebody else's word, when you're in, when you're in the valley, when you're in the, the trenches all by yourself and nobody else is there, you better know how to walk with God and hear God for yourself, not for somebody else. Some of you are excited about not going to church. You know why? Because really, you've been looking for a way to not go to church for a minute. COVID just so it's a blessing for you you because now you can stay home not go to church and folk ain't going to ask you because you can just use COVID right now but I promise you February, March and April is coming when you can't use COVID no more and the real reason going to show up say it the real reason going to show up that you don't want to come back to church and the real reason sometimes is you just don't want to be inconvenienced by God anymore so you love secondhand word you love to get messages from four different people on Sunday because you can't get it for yourself on Monday. And so you're no longer a self-feeder. No, you just get it from five different people and you love it from five different people because it's somebody else's regurgitated word. And you don't get it from yourself. John the Baptist. Hey, John, you got to hear from Jesus yourself. You got to hear from God yourself so that you get the word of God so that you can know that I'm, I'm not coming today, John, to take over everything. I'm now opening the gates so that the Gentiles can come. You got to hear God's word, John, so you get the right revelation. Number two, joyful submission. Joyful submission. What does that mean? That means that God, I'm not really aware and I'm not really loving it, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to honestly, joyfully submit to you, even though it don't make sense to me right now. God, I'm going to walk with you. It don't make sense. It, 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 every, all of my senses says it does not make sense, but I'm going to follow you because your word says so. And I'm going to jump and I'm going to follow because you has asked me to do it. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way you don't fall prey to doubt like so many others have is if you do two things. You get revelation for yourself. And number two, when, when the truth, your truth, contradicts God's truth, you joyfully submit to what God says yeah. and not what you believe yeah. in Jesus' name. Now, 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 let's get to reconstruction now. I have six things that I'm going to do. Let me tell you these. All six, turn the page over, you'll see it. Number one, what do you do when you've walked away and you want to begin the process now of reconstructing your faith? How do you do that? 
Number one, it starts with number six. I'm starting with number six. Go to number six first, please. I'm going to start with number six. These are all very important. Number six says, it has to start with discipleship. Begin with a construction plan. What does that mean? Ladies and gentlemen, what's happened to the church for far too often is this. What's happened to the church for far too often is you have people that come to church but has never been discipled. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you've never been discipled, you're not, you're not, there was no construction. And if there's no construction, then there is nothing to reconstruct because you never was constructed, which means you never were discipled, which means you don't really know and have not really been taught how to bring all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you weren't taught that, then there is nothing to deconstruct because you never had anything constructed in the first place. That is why when you have a church that does not focus on discipleship, it is the easiest easiest church to pick off because they do not know what they believe because they have never been taught the whole counsel of God's word. So if you have never been discipled, the first thing you want to do is be discipled so that you know what you're constructing over time. You know what your value system should be. You know what your worldview should be. You know that it's not the first. You're not, you're not here to be served, but you're here to serve and give you life. If you, if you don't know that, then you need to construct it so that when you begin the process of construction, of deconstruction, there is something to deconstruct. Discipleship then is one of the most significant things in the, in the reconstruction process. So if you're here and a believer and you've never been um, discipled, the first thing you should do is say, hey man, how do I get discipled here? Can somebody walk with me for a year or two and just show me how to bring all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ so I have a constructed worldview so I know how to think so that when the fire shows up or the doubt shows up or the deconstruction shows up, there is something to deconstruct so that you can then go to the Word of God. Number two, number five, excuse me, number five, is you got to remember to reorient your heart to God. You got to re, re um, um, back in the day, in the Old Testament, when Joshua crossed the Jordan, you know what he did? He said, take, seven, take 12 stones, and I want you to put a memory, a, a memorial here, so that, a monument here, so that when people come by here, they will always know how the children of Israel passed through this river. Ladies and gentlemen, the best thing you can do for your kids is not give them more money. It's not even leaving them money, but leaving them trophies of God's grace so that they can always know. Don't get it twisted. The reason why mommy and daddy uh, got the job they got was because of the grace of God. The reason why they got into the schools they got into was because of the grace of God. The reason why they got these bills paid, these, these uh, student loans paid off, is because of the grace of God. The reason why they got the promotion they got is because they knew somebody who was a believer that was looking for another believer to promote. And the reason they did that is not because of daddy's prowess or it's not because of mommy's acumen. It is purely the grace of God. But if you, if you forget those, those, those clear markers in your life, your kids will be convinced that it was their effort and your effort that made you who you are today. And they will think over time that it all was because of how good mommy and daddy was. It was always because how good the schools were that you went to. It was always because of the, of the opportunities and luck that got you here. Ladies and gentlemen, they need to be convinced that it was only because of Jesus Christ that you are here today in the manner in which you are here. They mustn't think so. They must be convinced of it so that they have something to go back to. Here is why this is important. That means one, the faith. When they ask them a faith question and it questions and shakes their faith, they can stand up, look back over the journal you gave them where God answered all your questions and say, I don't know about this hurdle, but here's what I know, that in 1989... Here's what God did with my family. In 1992, here's what God did with my family. I don't know what he's doing in 2022, but I know what he did in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. So I know what it looks like today, but my mommy and my daddy has showed me a history of the faithfulness of God. And while I might doubt today, I will reorient my mind and my heart that there is a God because he has done it for my parents and the people in my heritage. Can I get a witness one family? I'm telling you, more important than you leaving them a bunch of money is you leaving them the hand of God in your life. 
let them trace. You want to see your genealogy? Let them trace God's faithfulness through your existence so that they know that there's a God. Let's go to number, number four. Number four says, number four says, oh my God, oh my God. Witnessing a better lived out community. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, um, um, lived up. What does that mean? You notice when Jada and I, God led us to start this church and uh, we began the process, we had a very simple thought. God, will you create an environment where people can be fully known and fully loved? Let me say that one more time. Will you create an environment where people can be fully known and know you on your best day and on your worst day and fully loved on your best day and your worst day? Here's what God says. God says, Father, listen to, listen to how profound this is. God says, Father, um, will you help me to love them like you love me? Think about that. Will you help me, Jesus, that is, to love them, me and you, like the Father loves me? Do you know what that means? That love is infinite. That love never ends. That love is consistent. That love does not depend on your behavior. That love says, I'm going to love you no matter what. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, every single day, Christians go to their grave too ashamed to tell somebody about something they done did. And God says, that's why I created the body of Christ, so that you can confess your sins one to another and be healed. That's a well-lived-out community. That's what we try to create when we say no one walks alone. That it doesn't matter what happened. We're going to love you through it. Ladies and gentlemen, because the world hasn't seen that, that's why they believe all of us fake. All right. Because they haven't seen that. Because you don't want to be a part of it. Because you still believe you should cover instead of reveal. All right. And so I'm telling you, if you're going to be a part of our small groups, then the small group must exist to make sure that we will love you the most on your worst day. Yeah. Not run away from you yeah. like they did to Hope yeah. on her worst day. That's the lived out community. That's the dream. That's what we're asking God to do. And that's what we're asking you to do for glory of God. Number, number three, number three, number three. Um, you got you to gotta find the right things to deconstruct. Oh, God, I could live on this. All of these I could live on. Let me say this real quickly. You got you to find the right things to deconstruct. What does that mean? Ladies and gentlemen, there's some stuff that still needs to be deconstructed. Um, um, the role of woman in church. That still needs to, some more re, re, rev, re, resolution. Because still, women are limited in too many areas still in churches. In churches? In the 21st century? We still need to figure that out and go back to the text and see what God has to say about it. We can't just leave that on the sidelines and say, well, you know, they shouldn't say anything. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? And this is not culturally driven. This is theologically driven for the glory of God. There's still some stuff we need to deconstruct. And we shouldn't be afraid for that. Number two. Number two says, unintimidated pastors and friends. Friends and pastors who are, not, who are not afraid of dealing with the messiness of life. You have to be because it's coming to every church and every home near you. It's coming. Not, not, don't want to deal with the mess. You, you know where this comes from, by the way? Because you love a perfect environment. That's why you live where you live, in Collin County and in the suburbs. You love it. You want ma well-manicured lawns. You know why? Because you want to make sure everybody in your neighborhood have well-manicured lawns so your little home values can keep going up and up and up. Nobody can come in there and paint the outside yellow or green. Are you kidding me? You're going to change it all and mess up our nice community? What are you talking about? No. And then you bring that foolishness back into the church. And now you want a perfect church. The problem is you here. So you ain't perfect no more. Now, you can cover it up in your community, but you can't cover it up in church. It's going to show up. And when it shows up, we got to have people that says, yeah, I knew, I knew what's happening. Let's talk about how we're going to solve it now for the glory of God. We need churches. We need environments. We need pastors. We need friends that are unintimidated by the messy situation. We can't be. We can't. Last one. Number one. Rhythms of prayer, scripture, and worship. All that means is, you're getting, you and I are getting too many digital inputs every single day. And the only way you get to hear from God is when you say no to all of them and you say yes to God's word. The only way you do that is by fasting, by solitude, by silence. You know why we have you reading the word of God now? For the whole year we're going to do it? Because we realize that we don't have enough word input 
And so we need more. So that's why we're saying every single day, every morning prayer, word input, word input, word input. It's vital. You know why we have prayer in the mornings? Because we want you to create the habit of starting with prayer early in the morning. You know why we have a, a, a fast? Because we want you to say no to some stuff so you can say yes to God. That's why we're doing it. Why is that important? Because if you're going to re, rebuild, if you're going to reconstruct your faith, then it has to start with you hearing from God. Here's six things that we believe. If you're going to rebuild, if you're going to reconstruct, whenever you find somebody in this predicament, your job is to walk them through all six and say, let's see if we can allow God his full access to you again. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for where everybody under the sound of my voice is. Whether or not we have never constructed our faith, then will you help us to begin the process of finding somebody who can disciple us? Whether it is we are in the process of deconstructing our faith, will you help us to find the right community around us to walk with us while we, while we challenge some of the things we have believed for a long time? Whether we're in the process of reconstructing our faith, will you now ask and challenge all of us to use these six as a guide to help us to make sure we're taking the things that are bad out and we're replacing it with things that are grounded in the word of God. Will you teach us how to do that, please, Father? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Come on, give God a round of applause, everybody. Ma, 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 ma. Okay, here's how we're going to close service today. You have a rubber band that you got while you were coming in. Let me tell you what my dream is for all of us. My dream for all of us is that, ladies and gentlemen, many churches and many individuals either are driven by truth or they're driven by grace. God didn't ask us to be one or the other. He asked us to live in the tension of them both. The tension is that we must be individuals that when the situation shows itself, we apply both grace and truth, not either or. That's why Jesus was the perfect example of grace and truth. The tension is where we live in, not try to live in either grace or truth. It's both that. So as you interact with people on your job this week, it's not just why they're behaving like that. It's how do we find the balance between grace and need to allow them to be who they are and truth. When God opens up that door, I need to take the advantage and share truth in love with them. How do we live in attention? That's your assignment this week. Not live in either or, but live in the attention as we deal with the messes of the world. If you're here and you want somebody to pray for you, uh, when everybody else is going out, come on up. If you're here and you have uh, uh, a, a gift, tithes and offering to give, as you go out, there are boxes embedded in the wall. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to have a relationship with him, as everybody's going out, you come on down. We will wait here as long as we need to, to have that conversation with you. Thanks for being here, everybody. Go rep your Christ well this week. God bless you. You're dismissed. Doubt.